Hello? Hello, Jeff. Ah, uh, hi, Jason. How you doing? Hey, all right. Okay, good. I'm glad we have a connection here. I was uh, I was just not sure if um, if my new Skype uh, account was up and running properly or not. Yeah, can you see me? Well, I just yeah. Thanks you. for uh, yeah. Thanks for joining me here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm flattered to have a chance to talk with somebody about uh, the experiences I've had. Yeah, so you're you're based in the Vancouver area. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I'm about an hour and a half uh, west of Vancouver, or sorry, east of Vancouver. And so, um, yeah, I guess it's the Vancouver area. Yeah, are you uh, you're you grew up in Vancouver? No, I grew up on a um, farm east of southeast of Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, I'm a prairie boy who has uh, followed his family, <clears throat> his broken family, to to uh, the lower mainland here near Vancouver. So it's kind of tough for me during the winter because I am used to having a skating rink in my yard and and uh, here it rains a lot during the winter. And that's all it does during the winter is rain. It's a temperate rainforest, this area. So we have uh, a lot of uh, lush greenery during the summer and uh, a lot of rain yeah. during the winter. But uh, I'm just, I missed my family more than I miss having uh, a skating rink, so I'll survive. Uh, did you play a lot of hockey? <clears throat> yeah, well, I, I never, while I was growing up, but I, I started uh, skating more and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, playing more hockey when my girls got to the age where they could skate. And uh, we had a home uh, in Lacombe, was, that was uh, the small city we lived in. Um, before we separated and um, we had a, a home that had a, an interesting backyard with some some uh, dips that were created while we were cleaning out some uh, rocks and, and uh, debris that was left from the previous owners and I, it ended up uh, being uh, creating small ponds and so I just continued with that and built um, skating rinks in the yard so my girls could learn how to skate and I ended up learning how to shoot a puck really hard with one arm and um, by using a smaller stick and basically using my uh, uh, my hip as uh, as the resistance that where my, my right arm would be at the top of the hockey stick. So I, I've never been able to slap shot, uh, hit a puck properly in a slap shot until I tried it a few years ago. And uh, so I've got a pretty hard shot for a one-armed guy. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I, mean, I think it's one of those. I mean, uh, that, you know, once uh, you have an injury like like that, I mean, you really pay attention to the more the mechanics of everything that you take. For exactly. Granted. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I started really noticing um, in some of the hockey commercials where the players were hitting the puck uh, just before the, the hitting the ice before the puck and actually getting the stick to bend back a bit and then causing that. Uh, snapshot or a snap reaction from the stick so that plus just figuring out how to use my non-dominant limb more often and are in a more um, effective way I've learned how to pitch again I uh, used to be a bit uh, pitcher in uh, little, little league baseball so trying to throw again uh, really caused me to focus on the mechanics so that things could be done properly oh, you, you, you hurt the, your dominant hand 
Yeah, yeah, it was my right arm. I lost when I was 20. I just turned, it was two months after turning, or one month after turning 20, uh, coming up to 19 years ago this August. Yeah, I have um, I have some props here. I just, uh, I have a teacher as well, so I, I keep a photo of the machine that I was working under. It's just basically a, an old farm tractor with a three-point hitch and a, a large ditch mower. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my grandfather and I were doing maintenance on the, the machine, actually replacing blades, and uh, we had... Um, a couple of large cedar blocks set up along the edge of the mower and uh, to keep it from sinking too far uh, while I was working under the machine because there was a leak in the hydraulic system and um, it was really muddy that day and so I told my grandfather to start the tractor so we could lift the mower higher because um, the blocks were starting to tilt and sink into the mud and I forgot the power takeoff was still in gear, and so did he. And uh, and so he got up on the tractor pretty quickly, and and he, I, I was really suffering with the depression at the time too, and so I wasn't thinking very clearly. I was uh, pretty worn out, and I had tools on my chest, and I thought I would just kick the block straight with my foot um, once he started it up. So he actually asked me if I was going to move and I said, no, I'll, you know, I'll be all right. And I forgot the power takeoff was still in gear. And so, um, just as he turned the, the key and the engine turned over and the blades all started rotating or two of them about, uh, two and a half feet long each. And, uh, <clears throat> Um, thankfully though, my arm, uh, got in front of my head, the blade hit me right in the back of the elbow instead of, uh, decapitating me. So it could have been a lot worse. I've got, I've got a scar even, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but, uh, the scar goes all the way up to my shoulder. So I don't know how I ended up even with this much of my arm left, which, um, allows me to still have a prosthetic and uh, dirt bike and mountain bike too. So. Uh, it could have been worse, man. Definitely yeah. could have been worse. Well, how was the pain from that event? I still struggle with uh, tr- um, phantom limb pain right. significantly. It it always feels like um, I I can I notice the nerves that would go to my fingers all the time. It always feels like uh, I'm experiencing pins and needles, you know, when you fall asleep on your arm yeah. on a desk or something. And, you know, it's not as severe as that, um, that recirculation feeling, but uh, I'm still getting that, uh, that tingling sensation. So it's, it's a, a phantom limb awareness that I experience every day, all the time. But um, if I don't get enough sleep, I start experiencing a jolting pain, which uh, I can only describe it as uh, feeling like I'm being plugged into a light socket or a, a wall outlet, and, and I get these jolts of pain that make me jump and make me grip my teeth, and it'll last, you know, there's surges of pain um, that will occur, you know, for a split second, but it could be you know, four or five times within 10 seconds and then might give me a break for another minute and then, you know, ongoing. So sometimes sleep is the only way to deal with that. And um, for the last 10 years, I've been taking a a medication that was 
kind of it, it would help a little bit but just not enough to really make it worthwhile and the side wrong? effects uh, it was actually a synthetic um it's called nabalone is a synthetic thc because uh-huh. um yeah it was just um aside from issues with uh i mean because of the depression that i was experiencing and often that was because of a uh a relapse with with mood i i don't know man before i even lost my arm i i struggled with uh um behavioral and emotional issues from when i was about in grade seven i was uh i was a cutter when i was in grade oh, yeah. seven i had um real emotional um voids in my life from not uh having i guess my my parents around and being with really angry um angry and and very impatient caregivers that really you know never helped me nurture that positive self-esteem when things weren't going my way or going well and so when I got to grade seven and um had a you know I was really starving for attention starving for love you know and and the girl that I liked didn't like me back and I took it out of myself I started feeling like you know what's wrong with me even though I was you know now in retrospect I I can see that I was a, a little boy and she was a grade nine woman, you know, and <laughs> no, I, I really didn't have a chance, but I just, because I got a lot of attention from other girls my age, I felt like, you know, Hey, I should be able to hook up with anybody I choose. And, and so it was, uh, you know, I really took it out on myself and, and started, um, kind of, uh, um, a pattern of self-destructive thinking that, that, uh, hasn't really, uh, been resolved until even this spring, honestly. Um, really, how was it resolved? Uh, really, talk, uh, talking with my mother again and, and finally getting an apology from her, helping her recognize um, the extent of what I went through living with her parents um, because she she suffers with depression too and, and uh, because of the way her, her parents raised her, uh, also being angry and impatient, you know, she did, has always battled with low self-esteem. So when, when, uh, the marriage between her and my dad didn't work out, she pursued her career and pursued a more, um, I guess, uh, urban lifestyle. And, uh, everybody thought it would be more dangerous for me to be, in a city environment with my with either of my parents because neither one of them seemed to be able to look after me and I don't know I I, I confronted my mother and and really just felt like it was more more of um, um, an issue of her not wanting to be a mother because she was forced to raise my two uncles when she since she was about five years old out on a farm you know being the mom being the nanny being the caregiver at a young age, I think it just was something she wasn't interested in. And, and I was kind of a, a brat of a kid too. I wouldn't listen very well and to her. And it wasn't until I was near my grandparents because they scared the, the, the piss out of me. Literally <laughs> they, they, uh, you know, they were the only ones that seemed to really catch my attention and make me listen when I was younger. But unfortunately when I was in grade four, my grandfather, um, uh, decided, uh, well, it was, he had rheumatoid arthritis, so he was in pain all the time. And, and likely that, that increased his impatience with people as, and, um, I had a, a French teacher, uh, phone 
threatened to phone everybody in our class once when we were in grade four. And uh, she called my house, um, and I knew I wasn't at fault. It was a classroom issue. It wasn't me specifically, and my grandfather didn't wouldn't listen to that. And he kept screaming at me and yelling at me and ended up punching me in the back of the head so hard that it almost knocked me off of my chair. Well, it, it knocked me forward, and I almost uh, landed and fell forward onto the floor from uh, like a lazy boy chair. So I was I was sitting back reclining, or, you know, sitting up on this chair and he hit me so hard that from that point on there was uh, an element of rage that um, because I restrained it, I was honestly ready to put a knife into both of my grandparents when I was 10 years old. So rather than, um, you know, go that direction, I, you know, stabbed some walls and eventually just uh, smothered it within me. And, and unfortunately, it, it would erupt at times and, and come out as self-destructive behavior and self-destructive uh, thinking and even really negative self-talk. So um, the resolution finally occurred when I reminded my mother of what I went through and why I've been going through even so much anger in the past during these past few months. She acknowledged it? Yeah, yeah. I mean and she knew that before. I've I've struggled with um serious mental health issues as a as a student going through university and ultimately coming back to feeling like you know, I didn't have a real connection with myself emotionally. And so things like cannabis would often um, you know, I guess lock emotionally engage me. And, and I felt like there was a part of myself that would come alive again. And so, um, you know, for myself, I justified it like that and I would tend to, and I would misuse it completely pushing myself like a, you know, like a, you know, a funny car running the quarter mile, but all day long, you know what I mean? Like keep myself fully engaged all day long until I burnt out. And that happened several times. And, and, uh, you know, and that was really the depression that I was the result of, or the cause of the depression that I went through before I even lost my arm. It was because of chronic pot smoking. And, and when I finally quit and realized, wow, you know, my health was going down the hill, down the drain and, you know, my family didn't trust me anymore. My, my, I was, uh, you know, my words were a lot less considerate of others and my, yeah. my attitude was less considerate of others. You know, I was very aggressive and, and, uh, you know, I just realized I had to push that stuff aside and just try and grow and develop my, my connection to my, my emotional side naturally again. And, you know, ended up losing my arm and kind of sent me on a different direction. So, um, you know, it was, it was, and that was 19 years ago and it wasn't even until this past spring that I finally even received, a, um, an apology from my mother. Basically, she was the one out of everybody that knew what my grandparents were like. And I mean, I don't want to keep, um, you know, blaming anybody else for those decisions that I've made now. Right, but uh, they impact you. I mean, they definitely had a, a big impact on your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, um, it, it. You know, I kept reaching for a way to actually get connected again with myself, and, and it hasn't been until, you know, realizing that um, some of the, um, I guess, inflated ways to achieve a, uh, uh, or ways to achieve an inflated and immediate self-esteem that 
you know, it's, and it's also, unfortunately, uh, I tried to keep it as a, a permanent fixture in my life, but the small solution or the solution that may have been just a matter of awareness suddenly became a problem in itself. And, you know, burning myself out again and having to start over and realize that, realizing that, um, you know, we really taking that quick, easy way is always detrimental. I mean, a, a yeah, that, that's one of the, the, the quotes I like is that the, the, uh, the short road is the long road. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm finding now, uh, well, and then, you know, and then, um, once again, like I mentioned that I, I had my mother acknowledged or I confronted my mother before about her awareness that of what her parents were like. Um, but there was always excuses for why she did that. I never received any apology. And, I, and so once again, I, I guess the real uh, resolution came when she just finally acknowledged what I went through and apologized for that. And now we can all move on. So all of a sudden it felt like those emotional doors that have been locked for myself have been kicked open and I feel a lot more complete as a person again. So, you know, there's nothing in me you know, and even even um, the, the the doctors that I had helping me um, stay away from illegal forms of the substance because they could see my pattern that I kept reaching for something yeah. that was going to help me emotionally, but there was also a slight justification that well, I now I have a missing limb, and perhaps this new medication that was available for the doctors to prescribe might also help me with phantom limb pain. Well, you know, I did everything I could to justify, yeah, it helped me, even though it, it really cognitively, you know, not cognitively impaired me, but um, I found some, it wasn't the same as the plant, so there wasn't the psychoactive component, but yeah, so I, I mean, I guess I was feeling cognitively impaired. And well, then I'm that wondering would, how, that's interesting to me, because I don't know how, uh, because my understanding is that this THC is a psychoactive component, how, how do they, they tweak the THC in such a way that it's not psychoactive? Possibly, uh, and maybe it's just a matter of, uh, you know, ingesting it rather than smoking it, right. because I... I know that some people, when they, you know, even medical marijuana users, they, I, I've, I've sometimes kind of snickered because I thought, well, how, how can this be uh, a justifiable medicine when you're in, you're putting, putting tar into your lungs and, right. and I, know, I know how much tar is involved in, in chronic use, and then, and yet, you know, and people say it's not harmful to your body, and yet there's that amount of tar that you're, you're. Um, you know, you're filtering out in your body, and yet um, nobody wants to ingest it. Nobody wants to just eat it. Well, you know, is it because it's not as immediate, not as psychoactive. It's more of a body experience. And so, you know, in, in, in a way, I didn't, I did have um, some relief because it promoted circulation. And so the jolting and the tingling, it was uh, um, less of a, a sharp, more of a, a gentle murmur kind of a you know, if a, if a sound could, could describe a, a, you know, a physical feeling, it was like a murmur rather than a, a sharp, um, you know, symbol clash versus, you know what I mean? Anyway, I know this is a bit off topic, but it's... No, uh, it's not. I mean, it's an area of interest of mine, uh, the, um, the pharmacology and, and, and addiction, and I don't, I don't find it that off topic. Uh, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's really all interconnected. Exactly, in my yeah. 
Uh, the misuse of one thing to try and solve something Absolutely. else causing me to have a traumatic experience yeah. well physically traumatic experience but you know the crazy thing was is after I lost my arm I actually uh, snapped out of the depression that I was going through I was I was basically suicidal before I lost my arm and then when I when the blade took my arm and you know it, it kind of it gave me a, a new challenge in my life but it seemed like my family treated me differently. I wasn't just a burnt out uh, mess who wasted his life and his opportunities. Now I was looking at the basics, like trying to brush my teeth again, and you know, trying to use your non-dominant limb to shave, looking in the mirror. I mean, that's a scary experience. You know, all of a sudden my my hand was trying to go horizontally rather than vertically, and and so there was a lot of retraining and and just and as an artist, I I spent a lot of time after high school recovering from drug use from grade 12 LSD um, and marijuana were my were the two things that I did um, and just always to try and become emotionally connected with myself and and uh, I mean after high school I spent two years just basically working back working on the farm uh, you know the place of pain but it was there was another resolution between yeah, you know, I felt like it was a safe place and it was a good place and it was a healthy place again, even though and because I didn't experience the same, you know, mistreatment as I did as a child. Um, but, you know, on, but yet my grandfather, he would never he never remembered that he punched me. He never, you know, I confronted him when I was 19 before I lost my arm. And, you know, he he it was like it was somebody somebody else did it to him. You know, he never even remembered. So you're an artist, you said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, painting? Oh, uh, yeah, and drawing. I've been working on um, illustrating kids' books. Um, that's my ultimate goal, is to be able to teach through uh, juvenile literature, I guess would be the category, but uh, or adolescent literature, just helping others, um, you know, recognize that their struggles are similar, likely. Right. And, uh, and and also just uh, just conflicts that I right now I'm working on a book for an individual. She asked she has a, a program called No Such Thing as a Bully, and basically it's to promote self awareness in everyone, helping us all recognize our own tendency at different times to be to mistreat others when we're angry and impatient, and you know whether it's teachers, parents, uh, other kids, you know. Um, even the, you know, the bully, not, not to diminish the, the seriousness of a bully who's actually taking out their anger on someone else. But the fact is, is that they're likely that they've been bullied by somebody else right. too. Oh, so they've been, they've experienced victim, uh, victim or had victim experiences as well. So, um, through this book that I'm working on, uh, it's a, it's about a group of five individuals as well as the teacher and a substitute teacher who will have, uh, they have uh, their each conflict that they reflect on, a conflict that happens or several conflicts throughout the day. And um, it's basically uh, uh, going through each each character's reflection and what they did, if, what they did, what they noticed about the way they handled that conflict. And so, you know, I want to be able to uh, tap in um, to the experiences that I've had 
in an effort to really teach beyond the classroom because so many of these things you can't even talk about in school, yeah. let, let alone reach out and help somebody that's also going through it, you know, whether it's suicidal thoughts or... Unfortunately, I find it's becoming more, all like all that stuff is becoming more, <clears throat> more common in the schools today. Um, common in terms of the curriculum or common just no, in terms... No, no, in terms of the kids or... There's more cut, kids cutting and all these kinds of yep. things. It seems to be getting worse rather than better these days. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not a lot of there's not a platform uh, for safe discussion about it. So ultimately, uh, we want to open the doors to to promote discussion that yeah. doesn't doesn't um, you know put a spotlight on anybody because often that ends up causing people just to run from the discussion. You know, it'd be, it's better just to recognize in general that the, the experience is similar and the trauma, emotional trauma or, you know, physical trauma can uh, be, have significant effects, profound effects. And you've got to recognize that otherwise it develops, uh, you know, almost a dark side of a person that erupts in a different way at a different time and can be un, uncontrollable or dangerous. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the... Uh, one of the things in your, that, that you mentioned that I think is really, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's consistent with the literature that I, I'm familiar with, some of it around trauma, like, especially with veterans, it's like the idea that the, you still there? Yeah, absolutely. I lost, that it got blank. Uh, the, yeah, the idea with PTSD with veterans, it's often not what happened on the, the battlefield that, that brings up the, those PTSD kind of symptoms. It's like what happened in their childhood and that kind of stuff. Or, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. And I mean, you know, you carry you carry those events with you in your emotional reaction. I mean, your brain is like a sponge and whether you acknowledge what's there or even aware of what's there, it's still there. You know, we're still collecting information and experiences as we go. And, and uh, you know, and it's it's been over the last few months that many of my memories from and honestly, since I stopped taking this synthetic form of THC, I've had a lot more uh, clarity and, and a lot more agitation and anger to deal with for the most part because I've had it in my system for the last 10 years. But I've also now uh, had a lot more memories resurface that have been both good and bad and, and in a way just really helping me feel more reconnected and, and in a way uh, able to have a, a more sincere and personal approach to the, the work that I'm doing as well. So, you know, it all, it's all, I've heard the cliche, it all works out or everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I'm, I, I would often get really angry about that because, you know, whether I'm, you know, the reason that's just general, I want to, I want to know why it's happening. Well, I'm also figuring out the reasons why it's happening now. So, um, you know, I'm just glad that, uh, uh, I've been able to work through the pain physically and emotionally and and uh and, and and apologize for the pain that i've caused others with my behaviors and the words that i've said because i've turned around and you know and acted just completely uh like a lunatic to my family when they caused me stress so you know i'm trying to learn how to not be a bully to them and i'm doing the exact same things but without the physical abuse that my grandparents did to me i'm i'm fighting that that cycle of uh, violence and abuse um, with, with violent words. I'm trying to stop that now. So, you know, those things that I, I absorbed as a kid, I'm turning around and having to fight those same issues now with, from myself. Uh, um, I was wondering if you were, uh, if you ever read or familiar with that, uh, the Dr. Gabor Mate? No. Oh, is Dr. Fu- Dr. Yeah. Gabor, author? 
He's an author, speaker, um, he was a physician for many years, and uh, he worked in down in the lower, the, what is it called, the east, the down east side in Vancouver. Okay. And yeah, it just happens to be, I thought you, he's very popular now, and he writes all about all these issues about trauma and addiction, and he's uh, a very, very interesting ideas. Where, but basically, one of his main points that I would imagine you would agree with is that you know, most people become that misuse substances in a, in a problematic way often almost always have an extensive uh, history of trauma in their childhood. Yeah, I can understand. It's, um, it's a way to avoid having to really deal with, uh, with the pain in the, yeah. and, or even just to deal with anything serious. And sometimes that trauma, you, you get to a point where you don't want to have to be stressed out about anything, so you you tend to run from anything that's stressful, whether it's responsibilities, financial responsibilities, or relational responsibilities. You you tend to uh, avoid all conflict, so it's pretty easy to become a, an isolated uh, drug abuser. It really is. Yeah, it's also the idea that uh, that you know if you've experienced. Uh, I mean, some of these, these ideas are new, but the new part of it is is now, like from the research, is more understanding about the the the, uh, the mechanisms of how trauma affects the brain, the nervous system, and different things. Uh, so, I mean, basically, one of the ideas is that you know, if you've experienced trauma as um, in a significant amount as growing up, that your brain is more um, it has a stronger effect on you at an earlier age, because your brain is more impressionable uh, and. The idea is is that you're basically your your sympathetic nervous system is sort of on overdrive, so you're also using the substances to sort of calm down that uh, that overactive nervous system. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But um, what was I also saying? I was curious though, since you uh, I, like I said, it's I don't really feel it is off the topic like you said how these things are all connected. About the uh, the LSD experience, did you find was that uh, did you find did you find that that was uh, helpful to you? Or was that a positive experience with LSD? Oh wow! Uh, sometimes I wished, uh, or I wish that I would be able to um, just say, you know, I did it once and I learned what I needed to learn right. about, uh, you know, I guess just. Um, I suppose the, I mean, the reality of a spiritual realm that we're spiritual beings, you know, that we're, you know, we're in a, we're a physical individual or we're physical, but, you know, the, the idea that, um, you know, our minds are powerful and basically can go from being very lethargic to hyper, um, hyperactive so you know whether it's you know that engagement of imagination and and your uh, you know all the parts of the brain working all at the same time I don't know how to explain it but I mean I I, I was just feeling so um, uh, frustrated with my psychological paralysis that I had experienced so often with fear, um, being picked on at school uh, occasionally too in high school. I went to a new school um, when I moved to Edmonton uh, after finally getting away from my grandparents and I and I was like uh, you know a city kid trapped on the farm because I always felt very 
I wasn't allowed to leave. Nobody in my family didn't feel like the city was a safe place because of all the negative influences. Well, after about a year of doing the best I could, but once again, the girl that I didn't like in, you know, throughout grade 11, all of a sudden this, or the girl that I loved didn't like me back, you know, are obsessed. I obsessed with her. Okay. I understand that now it was an infatuation at first, but you know, then we became friends and she was in a lot of my classes. But once again, it was that inability for me to handle disappointment. And I started taking, uh, throwing my hands up in the air and just thinking, well, I don't care what happens to me now. So I started, you know, just doing whatever would come along my way. And so, I, you know, I'm just thankful that it was only, you know, one or two different drugs. But, you know, I know that some of my friends were into crystal meth. Some of my friends were doing coke. Um, there was a lot of different things that were going on that could have made my life a lot worse. But I, I unfortunately did um, find that I my my pursuit was always to be emotionally free and to be able to say whatever was on my mind and uh, to react to things to protect myself because uh, when I moved to this new school, you know, having somebody walk up to you at a school dance when you're a skinny grade 11 kid and who doesn't know anybody um, and kick you in the back and then tell you, oh, you, you know, basically just trying to make stuff up to pick a fight with me you know, I had no no connection to that rage that I had when I was in grade four and five, where, you know, suddenly there was, uh, when I when I did LSD, once again, it was, it was even stronger than the THC from cannabis. It was, it was a far more intense experience that made me feel that superhero human power that if anybody ever did something like that to me, I could protect myself completely. And so, um, that was uh, the psychological addiction that gripped me for months. And, you know, whether it was being jumped by three, you know, bodybuilders at a group or at a, at a nightclub, I was able to hold back all three of them, one with one leg, standing on one leg, pinning one guy up against the, the wall with one leg, pinning the other guy up against the wall with another leg and, and holding the other guy back because, you know, once again, they were, you know, spitting on me and di disrespecting me at a nightclub. And, and one guy punched me in the back of the head so hard it actually knocked me to the ground. But I was so high on LSD that I just jumped up and, and pinned them both, all three of them. Right. So, I mean, you know, there was a part of me that was so um, so in need of, of being able to protect myself that I continued to use thinking that that was the answer. You know, and, and I, I mean, I grew up as a, as a Christian and I, and I felt like, um, you know, I guess I... I was looking for immediate ways that would give me strength rather than just pray about it and be, you know, give them the other cheek. You know, I was looking for ways that would actually physically protect myself. And I almost felt like that was a lifeline that I was given by God. You know, hey, here you go. This is something that will help you. And, you know, but unfortunately, I put my trust in something that uh, ended up being more destructive with constant use. So, you know, I... It was definitely um, that when I quit, it felt like I had erased my memory, uh, my my conscience, my consciousness was erased of everything that I knew about myself up to that point. So I spent the two years after high school basically feeling like a newborn inside of a body of, a seven, of an 18-year-old. And I didn't know how, what my rapport was with my friends, my family, my relatives. Did I didn't you ever know. use any uh, uh, MDMA ecstasy? No, okay. no.
I mean, like I said, there was a lot of different things like that going around, and I think it just would have one more thing would have compounded my problems. So, right. you know, whether you know, I think there's always a way to find. You know, it's almost like the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from you know biblical stories. That doesn't matter. I suppose that could be in a variety of forms. Whether it's even just taking a drink, you know, a person can suddenly feel like, whoa, hey, I forgot I used to be lots of fun, and I forgot I used to have a lot of fun in life. You know, all of a sudden you have a drink. Well, that might give you some a bit of awareness, but then you continue to try and pursue that form of good. And it becomes evil, right? It becomes a negative thing. You end up drinking too much because right. you're always trying to keep yourself emotionally free. You're always smoking too much because you're always trying to keep yourself emotionally free. And so, you know, I, I definitely um, went after the wrong sources for the strength. And, you know, I guess I'm feeling like I'm finally uh, acknowledging what the true source is and uh, finally getting back to that and finally getting those answers that I needed and finally finding the healing uh, emotionally and spiritually too honestly but uh, but you seem like you you're, you're a guy that has really done reflected a lot on these these issues what what, what do you think uh, in your uh, healing path I mean was it mainly your own self-study or did you work with other people uh yeah I, I would I would say it's been more of a personal study i I would find working with counselors and and even recovery groups I would find made me more upset with myself because often um, like addictions recovery groups half yeah, I'm of the people fam I'm familiar with that down in the US I imagine it's not that different from Canada but yeah I'm wondering what yeah, yeah what it's an AA group yeah. or an NA group I mean absolutely I have nothing to say that's negative uh, towards those programs because I also have close friends that, that absolutely would have never been able to survive their their uh, experiences with addiction and, and and they would have never been able to recover and continue to be sober without it. And, and I keep being um, reminded that I need to go mainly to help others now. And that's my, my only concern because honestly, I, my, my experiences have often been almost snickered at by other addicts. Like I've been to recovery centers. I, I spent a month just before I lost my arm because I wasn't recovering. I wasn't getting better. I wasn't feeling better about myself. I felt um, once I quit smoking uh, pot and, you know, half the people there didn't even view marijuana as a drug because right. even, you know, it was like, what, you know, weed, that's, that's my family smokes weed all the time. You know, here we're in there because of, uh, they were in there because of, you know, crack use and, you know, collapsed lungs because of 13 years of crack addictions and, you know, heroin addictions and their teeth have all fallen out and, you know, they have biker gangs wanting to kill them because they owe their biker gang 30000 and here I'm just struggling with depression because of pot smoking. I would get laughed at. So, you know, it was, um, you know, so I felt I almost had to acknowledge more of uh, an LSD problem to try and make <laughs> it serious because, you know, and, and even now uh, there's still a tendency for me to usually I, I would shy away from disclosing what substance it is well but also revisiting so many of the things that i've talked about this is the first time i've talked about a lot of the right. the, well, the complete journey that i've been on <clears throat> but 
and other than, you know, talking about it with my mother recently and trying to get some answers and trying to get some, some relief and, and, uh, um, I guess, uh, in terms of just closure, um, you know, usually by bringing stuff like that up, it would just cause me pain and anger and more frustration because I, you know, I know it all. I've already talked about it. I've already experienced it. I, I'm far well, too. Oh yeah, and if that's happening now, just let me know. I don't want to do anything. To... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, commenting based yeah. on you know, um, what I've experienced in the past is a general direction that many of the counseling sessions would take me. It, it felt like there was sometimes uh, more negative um, outcomes. I remember I even had one counselor uh, get me to when I was really, oh, this is just, I've been hospitalized twice as well for, um, for depression and really suicidal ideations, they yeah. call it because every, uh, well, I had, before I was actually hospitalized back in 1999, I had, um, it was the spring of 99, or sorry, yeah, no, it was the spring of 99, I had uh, uh, one counselor, uh, my mother hooked me up with some some professional help, and, and I had a counselor have me, um, take a, a, a tennis racket and beat a pillow. Like I was taking out all my aggression and rage and he wanted me to channel this and get it out. And honestly, by doing that, the, I almost turned on him and I, because I, I, he, he was like pushing me and prodding me like I was some beast. He was like, come on, you know, hit it harder, do it, you know, come on, you can do this, let it all out. And, and I was just like, this isn't, this isn't sincere. I'm smashing this pillow and I'm gritting my teeth trying to get more into it. And I'm, I'm getting all angry. And all I felt like was like actually smashing the counselor. Like I was ready to like start working on something a little more real than the, just this pillow. So it was, it was really dangerous. I, I was not, not, uh, I didn't have a lot of really good healing experiences through a lot of the the group therapy sessions that I've gone through and, and even counseling. I mean, it was good to talk about it, but mainly it's just been once I've started to heal and feel better, I could reflect. You know, honestly, my, my greatest source of um, relief has been through sports, you know, whether it's running, swimming, skateboarding, um, just things that would kind of keep me allow the anxiety and the anger and the energy that I'd feel inside, give it a safe release, you know, give it a safe direction. So, you know, it wasn't even, it's not even until I could heal a little bit and feel more calm that I could even get into the artwork. So, you know, everybody finds a different path to their healing, but I know sports were, uh, have always been a big part of my relief and recovery process. Definitely. Yeah, but I guess going back to when you mentioned the recovery com- the community, one of the, my critiques of that is I find that, I mean, I think it's great that people have their own struggles and they share it with others and provide inspiration and hope, but, but I found that a negative thing that can kind of come um, happen in those spaces is that the people that they say, well, this is how I did it and you have to, follow, you have to do it my way and this is the only way kind of thing. They try to push yeah, their experience. Yeah. That does happen, and I mean, I'm, I get that a little bit even from some of the friends, like I said, that have really found um, the 12-step program to be crucial in their recovery process, uh, you know, feeling like if I don't do it, I'm, I'm really 
shortchanging myself and I'm going to relapse or I'm going to do this or, you know, and, and I honestly, if I had a sponsor, I can guarantee you that if it came down to the fact that I felt like I would, you know, now I, I feel a lot, um, less concerned with my potential to relapse because I'm, I, I feel like I've really cored myself out so much even during this last recovery process really trying to live through the raw pain um that i've been running from that i i don't want to walk through this living hell again i actually feel like i'm healthy and strong enough again to work and i feel like i can you know handle anxiety i can handle the the stress of having a job and and even just dealing with my my family day to day and helping my girls with just getting their lunches ready it used to be you know just little things like that that would push me to the limit and now you know i and so i feel like just based on personal reflection i feel like i know that i want to steer away from the places that would potentially get me even um able to access or even have the have something offered to me that i wouldn't you know want to do again or but i just i feel a lot more uh strength in my own conviction rather than feeling like I, I would have somebody there on a phone line to say don't do it because unfortunately my personality has always been if somebody tells me not to do it I end up really wanting to do it just right, to like well, that's, it's actually very common uh, yeah <laughs> but that, that's so, I think one of the, the flaws in that approach is there's this there's this guy that uh, he's been uh, gone through his own recovery process and did like almost every drug imaginable, and then became a, a neuroscience and studies addiction in the brain. And his name is Mark Lewis, and he talks about it's this concept called ego fatigue, and that's what you're describing. That if somebody there's, there's a mechanism in the brain, and he, he describes in more detail that basically. Yeah, that that after a while, if 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 you're like, um, if people keep on telling you you're gonna relapse, you're gonna relapse, and then eventually you just get tired, and you're like, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. go relapse. Oh, I know exactly, and that and that's and I don't want to depend on somebody else's um, uh, framework for safety for me. I I really need to continue to be reflective and and just work on the books that I'm doing to recognize that. You know, even if I have the thought past my mind, I've had that thought before and I've relapsed and it's taken me the wrong way. And it's always taken me face down in the dirt a few months later, um, just barely able to survive and barely able to or barely willing to even live another day. So, you know, through through that kind of reflection and the more I focus on the work of disclosure for the purpose of helping others yeah. and making it a tangible physical resource that people can use um the more i'm focusing on that also the more strength i'm getting to stay clean and sober and and healthy mentally and physically and spiritually what's the uh what is the book have a name or is it under it's sort of undisclosed right now or? yeah um it does have a name i mean it's still it it's basically finished uh the rough copy uh and it's now it's going to go through its refining process but um it's uh called uh the full rangers and the valley of conflict so each person basically has a full potential for a full range of emotions so the full rangers is uh where where that's coming from cool yeah 
Yeah, I mean, um, that guy I mentioned, Gabor Mate, he's involved with some new uh, movie about bullying that looks pretty cool, too. Oh, hey, what was his last name? I, I, I thought M-A-T-E. Yeah, if you'll, you'll, he's all over the place. Okay, okay, I'm going to look this guy up. I wrote him down, but I only wrote down Dodger Gabor. Yeah, no, just Mate, if you do, yeah, Mate, M-A-T-E. Right on. But, uh, so how, how many girls? You have two girls? Two girls, yeah, 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. Cool. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, that... Uh, that tendency that I've always had to, um, I think they would code it in the school system as oppositional defiant right. disorder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had it, uh, my mom would say I had it completely. I know I haven't, I wasn't as bad as many of the students I've worked with, but my, my oldest, she, she has filtered that, that characteristic to a point where it's, it's definitely a contentious uh, behavior or personality trait that she has that constantly uh, causes us to have to shift gears and just uh, treat her in a way that's not natural. You know, it's easy to yell at somebody that doesn't comply right away or that it does the exact opposite, thinking that they're just doing it to piss you off. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something else going on with them, so you got to shift gears and, you know, reapproach things. So uh, it's being a teacher is one thing, but being a parent is something completely different. You know, it, it's not as easy as. You know, I used to think teaching was tougher, but, you know, it's, sometimes it's a lot easier to be able to walk away from those kids and let them go home to their parents, and their parents have to deal with the the, the full range, the full, full range. emotions, yeah, and, and uh, but parenting is, is something completely, you know, it's, it's def my mom was even saying today how she heard a study that it was she thought it was so funny how this study came out so close to mother's day um she's a she's a neuro um critical care nurse in the neuro icu and she she was um telling me about a study that identified the stress that parents go through as greater than the stress that somebody would experience through the loss of a loved one because or or um some other physical trauma now it might be more extreme in the moment but it's that constant stress i think that would cause more negative effects i'm not sure what the specifics were in the study well, well that, but, that is true though what i know about the stress and i mean that, that the research i know about stress and trauma it seems to be more like the you know the low grade trauma over cumulative over time is more damaging than a really traumatic you know singular event yeah, because often you can deal with that in in its appropriate time. You deal with that singular event, and then you can move on. And once you've grieved, and once you've gone through the full range of emotions, but it's the it's the the constant um, wearing of your your patience and your own your own mood that ends up pushing people to snap in different ways. And sometimes they never stop snapping. You know, it's angry teachers and angry parents. You see it all the time at the grocery store you hear about it all the time with you know i even rem i even remember so many angry uh teachers when i was younger that just seemed like no matter what you did they were barking at kids and i became one of them that's why i quit teaching after five years of full-time teaching because i i was getting so worn out by kids that wouldn't comply when you have a principal uh, expecting a superintendent expecting you to achieve certain things in the business of education 
you stop being sensitive to the the needs of the students that you're actually caring that are under your care. Yeah. And you you stop being um, you know compassionate and caring. <laughs> Instead, you're like a machine that's just trying to bulldoze your way through the curriculum because you have to get it done to keep your job. So. Right. You know, I, I found a lot more fulfillment and contentment and, and peace as a substitute teacher. And having a steel prosthetic arm helps too. The kids often don't give me the same kinds of behaviors that they would a, a typical substitute. Right. Um, in comparison, you know, I didn't have to worry about the pressure of, of curriculum objectives, even though we'd get through the things that needed to be done. But it was there. There was a definitely a different approach that I could have walking into the classroom and 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 you know, being exposed to different behaviors and needs, special needs that, that I could finally address comfortably and, and appropriately. So, you know, it's, it, everything's, uh, it's been a learning experience. It would be just nice if, I guess I could go back in time and fix <laughs> some things that I've uh, damaged here and there, but well, you can you can go back in time in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I'm staying on. I'm still I'm still trying to teach. I'm at least at the point now where I want to substitute teach from this point on. I've been uh, really running from the stress of teaching for the last uh, year and a half, and so I had um, fixed my my mind and my professional. Uh, existence in a um, a paraprofessional job as a as a group home uh, behavioral support worker or community support worker, even though I have a special needs minor, um, I I was really just just helping the the guys that were nonverbal with their own violent tendencies because of their inability to deal with their own stress with because of fetal alcohol this uh, syndrome etc. You know, I, I felt I still felt professionally fulfilled by being able to ha- help these individuals have, uh, you know, just a comfortable, positive living environment. And uh, often that just meant me cooking lunch for them, you know, being able to help them, you know, with their laundry, but then also helping them find recreation that they enjoyed, whether it was just providing cool coloring pictures to work on, you know, but it was a lot less stressful than than the hyperactive kids that I was dealing with. But now I feel like I'm ready to, you know, step back into a different front line and, and um, help out in the classroom again. So, yeah, I've been in the process of um, getting my my teaching certification from Alberta, recognized here in British Columbia, but it's it's not easy. There's a lot of loops, uh, hoops that I have to jump through. Yeah, it's, um, it's annoying, all those other uh, hoops. Yeah. Where, yeah. What did you teach high school? What what uh, level? Uh, elementary. I'm a grade. Five. I'm an elementary generalist as my my major, and spe- with a special needs minor study. Um, but as an uh, as a substitute, I've worked with everybody from uh, students from kindergarten to grade twelve. So the um, credentials are different when you're. When you're the last minute um, resource for taking care of a class situation, when the teacher's sick, so um, yeah, I definitely enjoy substituting. It helps me uh, walk over, walk through some barriers that normally I wouldn't get through, I guess. Well, anyway, well, th- yeah, thanks for uh, t- chatting with me today. I appreciate it. And, I mean, oh, I didn't really tell you about my like the one of the main reasons I'm doing this is trying to get more awareness. To the, the out out to the public about the effects of trauma and 
and I like having different people like you or other people that are psychologists and therapists that more like, you know, study trauma or work specifically with that. But I just think more, uh, you know, people more awareness, uh, aware, aware about the effect of trauma, they'd be less judgmental to people's behaviors and if they could understand where it's coming from. And I really think the trauma, like, like you, uh, you were saying, all these things are so connected, the addiction and, and all the, 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 the cutting and all that, it's really, to me, the trauma is sort of the thing that connects all these experiences. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I'm probably one of the only people that would have actually had a positive reaction to something like losing their arm. I mean, I couldn't believe, I don't understand why um, that traumatic event snapped me out of uh, the depression that I was going through other than it gave me a new chapter in my life and I was looking forward to a new start so I, I suppose in that sense that was good but you know I guess that's um, that's likely an unusual I don't know is that an unusual well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say well it is but but it isn't uh, that, that's the other thing I'll say about that is there's this emerging other field that they call about uh, I mean traditionally they talk about resilient and the, the term resilient means that you're sort of stretched <clears throat> either physically or emotionally, and then you sort of back to your original state. But post-traumatic growth is actually the idea that trauma impacts you in such a way that you're, you're never the same again, but you could be... And there are a lot of people that... I've never talked to somebody specifically who's, who's lost a limb and they say they're better for having it, but there are a lot of people that have significant traumas and they say they're actually stronger for having that experience. Yeah, well, and from what I've heard from some of the uh, uh, Alzheimer's research is that if you use if you use your non-dominant limb occasionally, you become more resistant to Alzheimer's to the onset of Alzheimer's because you're using different pathways right. in your brain. So I think I'm Alzheimer's resistant now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh man, yeah, it's been really good chatting with you, and uh, yeah, it's I'm happy to be able to uh, follow your work on Instagram as well, and. Uh, continue to do so so are anymore you, are you also i mean um, are you on facebook i'm on all of the social so facebook twitter yeah absolutely i'm 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 starting to get back onto facebook okay. because i i focused so much on uh connections that i was making through instagram i found it was easier to advertise as an artist and because your posts get put up on a general wall that so many people see throughout the world that you know i i was having um I guess greater um, fellowship with artists, yeah. and and I was enjoying that, and so I've met a lot of people, and and but now I'm starting to follow other amputees, other people that skateboard or even and that do extreme sports with uh, with significant physical disabilities, and uh, so that's been opening up a completely different social circle. But yeah, I'm on Facebook, man. So if you're you know, it's just my first name and and last name again. Um, and uh, I also have, uh, I haven't updated my website for a long time, but when I quit teaching full-time and, and wanted to focus on illustrating literature, I, I uh, created a, a company called Unarmed Discovery Productions, uh, and so I have a website called unarmeddiscovery.com, and it's um, a, play, a platform that I have all of my work right-handed as well as left-handed. Um, so basically, it's an online gallery because I I heard that 
it was important to do that when you were an illustrator looking to get published through different publishing companies. And so there's a blog there as well that I, I haven't updated for a while. But um, I'm I'm uh, now that I'm getting more uh, revved up and you know shifting gears with this latest project, I've been inspired to continue with it, and I feel like I'm capable now to do that. You know, it will. There will be more updates. So I've got that on Facebook too. But if you, what's your last name? I'd like to follow you as well on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's uh, Friedman. F R I E D M A N. F R I E D. Okay. All right, Jeff. Jeff, I have on Facebook Jeffrey Michael Friedman. Jeffrey Michael. Yeah. Um. My cousin's name is Jeffrey. So. Uh, you can, I'll be able to remember you as well. So right on, man. Well, I sure appreciate having an opportunity to chat with you and you know, I'm really, really thankful that you reached out. It's made me, um, I guess get charged up and get refocused and, and, uh, you know, just, just being able to tell my family, Hey, I got an interview about trauma. <laughs> Ex-wife feels like I, or has been acting like I've actually got something working in my, and you know, in a positive direction instead of being, <laughs> She thinks I'm just being a mooch. Yeah. <laughs> just, anyway. All right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Jason. I, I really appreciate it as well. Okay. Hey, so is there, um, you know, do you have a website? that? Yeah, that well, I have a few different. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I can send it y'all on Instagram if that would be easier. Uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I have, I, yeah I have website, Facebook. I put the most of these... Um, chats up on soundcloud if you ever use that oh yeah yeah i'm familiar i haven't used a lot but i'm i have i've been meeting new people that uh also as a friend of mine that he makes uh sound and audio environments for nintendo games oh, really? and cool. uh he's been doing it for 10 years i went to high school with him and i said buddy are you still doing this for nintendo and he said yeah here's my latest mix so he gave me a soundcloud link so yeah, uh, I'm starting to learn. <laughs> anyway, but absolutely, I'll I'll look for it, and I appreciate the chance to talk talk with you. And um, I can hardly wait to hear, I guess, uh, some feedback. You know, it'd be nice to hear if there's anybody else that's uh, that you're finding has, uh, um, you know, found that this talk was was helpful yeah. to them. You know, That'd well, be, yeah, I mean, I'll show, I think you'd find it interesting. This friend of mine that I went to. Um, I worked in the, I'm from Philadelphia originally. I worked in this counseling center um, with him there. And I mean, it, anyway, he had a whole different experience than you, but it's still the sort of uh, the same thing. Uh, and he grew up with this very weird genetic condition where he was born that he has hands, but he has like no arms, he just has hands. And yeah. also his legs are not totally um, the uh, regular, and he had a lot of struggles. and he. I'm really excited to see it. He created this performance, theatrical performance, about how he's the challenge of living with a disability in his life. And uh, he's going to be doing that later this month. And I'm, I'm, I did a chat with him. I can also, on, on the, I have on the SoundCloud. Well, I'd, I'd like to get that link as well, yeah. because, you know, I would like to learn from what other people have gone through, because often that... Uh, whether I can relate or just feel like, wow, you know, that person has even experienced more difficulties than, than I have per se. Uh, you know, it's just, it's nice to hear other people's stories and yeah. just to, or to, um, relate and learn. 
So yeah, if you could link me up with that uh, that conversation as well, I'd appreciate it. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. Okay. Peace, Jeff. Peace. Thank you. <laughs> See you later.